Sponsor CBT Nuggets is IT training for IT professionals and anyone looking to build IT skills. If you want to make fully operational your networking, cloud, security, automation, or DevOps battle station, visit cbtnuggets.com slash cloud. That's cbtnuggets.com slash cloud. Welcome to Day 2 Cloud. On today's show, we've got Dan Mangum from Upbound talking to us about LLVM and Crossplane. And if you've never heard of either of those things, do not despair, dear listener. We are going to get into both of those and especially into Crossplane and how it automates and creates a platform for different cloud providers. It it sounds confusing. It can be a little confusing, but I think it's also kind of awesome. What do you think, Ethan? <sighs> <laughs> that I have so many things I'm thinking right now. So, so, so this show, this is one of the fastest minute wise. It, I couldn't believe 45 minutes was like come and gone. I looked over, it was like 15 minutes and I looked over at the recording software again. It's like, we're coming up on an hour. Where did the time go? Crossplane, you mentioned LLVM, and Crossplane gets us into this world of abstraction. It's another magical abstraction where you don't want to have to care what cloud your workload is running in because Crossplane does it for you, but you can control it by writing all of your own definitions about how all that's supposed to work, which makes a dev's life easier. But it's so much more than that. I think uh, we were talking after the show, and it was a Rube Goldberg machine. If that's Kate's, you got another Rube Goldberg machine here. <laughs> but that there's no reason to fear. There's no reason to fear. Listener, If th this is the kind of a show where if you're into this stuff, it's one of those that Daniel goes so deep, you're going to have to listen to the show twice or maybe three times. I was just here, Ned, and I don't think I got the entire <laughs> show into my head on the first pass. And I was really paying attention hard. Yeah, man. Well, you know what they say, fear is the mind killer. You must not fear. And do not fear this episode with Dan Mangum, Senior Software Engineer at Upbound, Crossplane Maintainer, Kubernetes SIG Release Tech Lead. Enjoy the show. Daniel, welcome to Day 2 Cloud. Let's dive right into the conversation, getting started with Crossplane. Now, Crossplane is something that I've been hearing a lot of buzz about, and somehow it led me to a blog post you wrote called, Is Crossplane the infrastructure LLVM. And after reading the entire post, I'm not going to lie, my brain whimpered and shut down for a little while. We took a little nap. But then but then I woke up and uh, I got a chance to uh, try again with you, the human who wrote this post. So let's start with the acronym that's in that post, LLVM. What does it stand for? And what does it mean? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, always excited to chat with folks in this space. LLVM uh, stands for uh, Low Level Virtual Machine, which that name itself is a bit of a misnomer. It, it can often be confusing for folks who are who are learning about the project. But essentially, uh, I describe it as a compiler toolchain framework. So the the structure of it is is you have front ends and back ends, and then a, a variety of kind of optimization and, and mid level representations in the in the middle. An idea, right? is that you can build um, a front end, which would be something like a, a programming language. So Rust is an example of that. Um, C and C++ have compilers that are based on LLVM, et cetera. And then the back ends, right, target different uh, hardware architectures. So x86, ARM, RISC-V, et cetera. And the, the benefit of having a tool chain to be able to do this is you don't have to, for each you know, permutation of front end and back end, write a, a compiler that emits the, the correct instructions for the particular architecture. I mean, there's a lot of different components. LLVM is an extremely large project, one of the largest open source projects and, and most successful. So we won't get too far into that. But the idea, right, is that you present an interface 
that folks can interact with and, and design themselves for a new programming language if they like without having to worry about making sure that, you know, it emits the right kind of lower level concepts. Okay, so it's it's sitting between the hardware and the programming language you want to use. It, it sort of reminds me, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, it sort of reminds me of the Java virtual machine where the idea, albeit it didn't always work great, but the idea was you wrote the Java code once and then the JVM was written for each hardware platform and magic happened and your Java code just ran. Is that, mm -hmm. is, it a, is that an apropos comparison or is there a little more to it than that? It's definitely similar. You can actually, I believe that LLVM can actually target the JVM at this point. So, so uh, the JVM, the idea there is that you put a common runtime on all hardware and then you target that runtime. Whereas traditionally, and like I said, I believe you can target the JVM at this point with LLVM, but traditionally LLVM is used to emit specific machine code. So it's kind of just changing the level at which you you present the abstraction and the, the common uh, architecture there. So, Daniel, uh, forgive this old computer science major for asking this one, but it sounds to me like what a compiler did back in the day. If I could write C code, I would just feed it to a compiler that would turn out machine code on whatever platform I was writing that code on. Yep, that's exactly right. And, and really what it's doing is allowing us every time we, we have a new language or want to build a new compiler for an existing language, not to have to re-implement all of kind of mm. the low-level optimization parts of emitting machine code from that. So that's exactly right. Uh, if you've ever used Clang uh, as your C compiler, C++ compiler, that's built on LLVM and you could write your own C compiler on it or, or build a higher level language if you like. Okay, I, I think I, I get what LLVM's <laughs> purpose is. And it, it's to provide so you don't have to reinvent the wheel every time. That right. makes total sense to me. Now, you made the comparison between LLVM and Crossplane. So what drew you to making that comparison between the two? Well, uh, first of all, I'd say that, you know, LLVM is wildly successful. So that's the first comparison, of course. <laughs> um, although, although it really does follow a similar model, right? So let's take kind of those different concepts we just talked about with LLVM. So we have the hardware or the instruction set architecture that we're targeting as the back end of LLVM. With Crossplane, that can be really any API, but typically it, it targets uh, cloud providers. So, you know, being able to create an RDS instance on AWS or a cloud SQL instance on GCP or any other variety of infrastructure. And it doesn't have to target cloud providers. Uh, we have providers that point at Slack or Twitter, or order you a pizza or something like that. Basically anything that's exposed via an API is on the table. So that's kind of the, the analogous back end for LLVM. The front end, think of a programmer, right, being the consumer of a compiler. So you present them with an interface and they interact with it. Crossplane, the consumer would be developers within an organization. And the compiler authors in this case would be platform builders, right? So there's been a big kind of a trend towards having platform teams or infrastructure teams within organizations where folks are essentially have a group that manages all of their cloud infrastructure or on-prem infrastructure, and then has a system to varying levels of success of offering that infrastructure to different development teams, right? So the worst end of that spectrum, maybe uh, you send the platform team an email and say, hey, I need a database or I need a, a VM or something like that. And then they hopefully don't email you back the you know SSH credentials or something like that. <laughs> um, at the kind of uh, optimal end of that, the platform team is building a, a platform that developers can interact with and self-service on, right? So the platform team puts restrictions in place and offers abstractions that fit within those restrictions and policies 
that allow developers to self-service on that infrastructure. So, you know, that might look like taking something like the AWS API and presenting a more Heroku-like experience, like mm. higher level abstraction to developers. So Crossplane is what sits in the middle uh, and also provides those backends and says, we give you the ability to, within your organization, build a platform uh, with policy and, and mapping of higher level concepts to lower level concepts and present that to your development teams and allow them to self-service on infrastructure. Yeah, okay, but there's, <laughs> it's such a moving target though. All the things that you're abstracting are changing fairly steadily. So how, do you, how does Crossplane keep up? So for some history on the project, when it first started, the solution to providing these abstractions was actually trying to define a common standard across all cloud providers. And I can see from your faces that you, you know how that, how that ended, right? <laughs> I, I know how well that goes. <laughs> exactly, <Right>. exactly. <laughs> so that obviously was not a solution. It was, it was useful to demonstrate the ability of kind of having this multi-cloud control plane, but it wasn't really useful for, for end users because with any meaningful usage, they would run into some edge case where the, the abstraction you know, was leaky. So right. instead, the Crossplane team and the Crossplane community said, how do you provide value here? You enable people to build the abstractions and define those mappings to the lower level concepts, right? So we have these folks that are platform team members, um, which once again are kind of analogous to someone who would build a compiler. And they know within their organization, right, when, when a developer creates a database, should that create a RDS instance in US East 1 uh, on AWS, or should that create a Cloud SQL instance in US West uh, on GCP? And, you know, what should the parameters be for that, depending on the environment it's provisioned from and all of that. So instead, uh, we move towards a model that, that we call composition, which basically allows you to take these, these granular managed resources, which are those uh, things that represent uh, resources on AWS or GCP, et cetera, and compose them into abstractions and define what those mappings are from, let's say, a database mm -hmm. to an RDS instance and what level of configuration that you're actually giving to developers. And you can package that up and we, we can get more into the details on, on how that works. Okay, so if I can just read back to you or, or say back to you what, what I'm hearing, it, it sounds like we don't want to present the developers with the raw API or the raw interface to the various clouds that you might want to deploy stuff in. That's too much. You instead want to pull back, put some controls around what they're actually able to deploy and also provide a bit of an abstraction for them so that they don't shoot themselves in the foot when they're trying to deploy this thing. So you can have some scene defaults built into that layer. You can determine, no, you can't launch the gargantuan database that costs $10,000 an hour, unless you get special approval or something. Like that's not something that you as a developer have access to. Is that about right, what, what you're going for with the cross-plane solution? Yeah, that's an awesome summary. And one thing I would add to that is you're not locked into kind of a single level of abstraction. So within a single organization, you may say, you know, this development team really knows how databases work, right? And they they might want something that's more akin to actually interacting with the, the RDS uh, API directly. So we're going to expose a lot of that configuration to them. And, and they may have, you know, a higher level of permission or trust within the organization. Um, but this other team, let's say it's a marketing team or, or something, you know, that, that's not folks that are interacting with infrastructure on a regular basis. We may just say, you know, there's one field and it's an enum and it's small, large, medium, et cetera. <laughs> and, and, we, and we decide all of those defaults for them. So you can have those differing levels of abstraction within the same kind of cross-plane offering there. 
Okay, so there's there's a, there's a subtle distinction here then. So I'm using Crossplane as an organization, and I'm a developer that's writing to Crossplane directly, as opposed to I'm making a tool I want some developer to use, and I might use Crossplane to help me build that tool that then I hand to the developer. Yeah, so I'd say both of those things are actually correct, and, and maybe <laughs> okay. and, and maybe maybe we should get into how Crossplane is actually architected and and its relationship with Kubernetes. Uh, if y'all are interested in going down that road, yeah, I, I think that's probably an appropriate time to bring in. Okay, what's actually in this thing? Because <laughs> yeah. so far it's a magic black box that abstracts components. So let, let's dig into what's actually in that magic box. Absolutely. So, so I'll start off with kind of a very brief uh, summary of how Kubernetes works in terms of its extension mechanisms, because I know the audience of this podcast is, is some sophisticated folks that are already aware of many of these things. But essentially, Kubernetes, you're likely familiar with it as a container orchestration platform or framework. Um, so it exposes things like pods and deployments, right, that basically make it easier to put workloads across a set of nodes and manage those as kind of a single operating system. So that, that was the initial impetus for creating Kubernetes. However, all these different APIs like pods, deployment services that abstract things like processes essentially on a machine or, or some sort of networking primitive or that sort of thing, they realized that those primitives are, are useful, but there are many other ones that could fit into the same kind of system. So I, I think in the blog post uh, that you were referencing earlier, I refer to Kubernetes uh, not as a container orchestrator, but as a distributed systems framework. So it's kind of evolved to this point where it goes beyond those workloads. Yeah, we actually, we had Kelsey Hightower on the podcast, oh geez, that was almost a year ago now, I think. And he brought up something very similar where, yes, Kubernetes it is ostensibly there to schedule containers, but really there's so much more to it than that. It can be a platform for you to schedule just about anything and it's extensible. So it sounds like that's what Crossplane is taking advantage of. That's exactly right. And definitely uh, take whatever Kelsey Hightower said <laughs> and use that instead of uh, whatever I provide here. But it's the same idea, right? And the way it does this is uh, Kubernetes has an API server where these different abstractions, if you will, are, are represented as objects. So you may have heard of the Kubernetes resource model, which is basically a way of defining APIs um, that have a spec and a status. So the spec is the desired state, the status is the current state, and then there's a set of reconciliation loops that are frequently packaged into deployments called controllers that are essentially constantly driving that spec or driving that status to meet that spec, right? So we want mm -hmm. the current state and the desired state to, to look the same. So that works, you know, uh, with workloads and, and services and that sort of thing. Uh, but it also works with other things. So Crossplane's kind of innovation in the beginning, right, was to represent these cloud provider infrastructure resources as objects in the Kubernetes API, which becomes really useful for a number of reasons. And this is kind of the base layer of how Crossplane works. These different providers, which are the backends for Crossplane, they say will represent all of AWS's resource types in the Kubernetes API, which means that, you know, we can have the information that's encompassed about their, their status. And that can be referenced from things like a, a workload that's running, right? So if you have your database and your workload represented in the same API, then you can start to have uh, a lot of synergies between referencing information, you know, about that database and consuming that from a workload. Okay, so you're representing the AWS RDS instance using, is it a custom resource definition? Is that essentially you're creating one of those and then you have a controller that makes sure that RDS 
matches the desired state. Is that basically what you're implementing? That's exactly correct. So a provider in, in cross-plane parlance is a set of CRDs and controllers to reconcile them that get installed as a bundle. There, there are a lot of resources in AWS. I mean, like a lot, a lot. So is there an impact to having that many CRDs in a single Kubernetes cluster? Would you load the whole provider or can you be more specific than that and say, I only want, you know, the database related ones or something? Well, you can be more specific than that. Right now, the, the way the uh, kind of like canonical cross-plane community maintained AWS provider works is it brings all of those resources, which is a, quite a number of CRDs and controllers. However, there is some nice caching and, and things like that to make sure that, you know, it, it doesn't create a lot of overhead to have a bunch of CRDs you're not using there. However, you could very easily and anyone can go and write their own provider or they could, um, you know, break pieces off of the AWS provider and um, install that as more granular pieces. And at some point in the future, Crossplane actually has a package manager that installs all of these things. And at some point in the future, we may um, add to that package manager the ability to say, you know, I just want this set of CRDs from this provider just to make the interface a little better so you don't have, you know, API sprawl within your cluster. So we've got CRDs and that represents different resources in the cloud. What else does Crossplane implement? So a lot of folks come to it just for that, right? They, they say, oh, I, I just want to be able to represent my infrastructure as Kubernetes objects. And, and like I said, that has a lot of benefits with referencing from workloads and services and that sort of thing. However, that doesn't really get into any platform building, right? You're, you're essentially just bringing kind of infrastructure as code or, or infrastructure as data, as I'm sure Kelsey said when he was on the show, to the Kubernetes control plane which definitely has its benefits, right? It's different from something uh, like Terraform or Pulumi in that it's not a one-off run, right? We're, we're constantly observing that infrastructure and letting you know about its status. So there are some benefits of referencing that directly. However, if you're only using Crossplane at, at that level, you're really not taking advantage of, of the real benefits it provides from a platform building perspective. It would kind of be like hearkening back to LLVM again. It would kind of be like if you were still writing, you know, the, the ISA, right, for the different architectures that you are targeting. Uh, you're not really creating higher level abstractions, even though you are giving a consistent framework to be able to target uh, different backends. Something important right. you, you mentioned is that in a way, it's similar to Terraform. And we've done a couple shows on Terraform. And when I was reading through your post and also some of the cross-plane docs, it reminded me a lot of Terraform at the beginning where, okay, I've got a set of providers and those providers allow me to hook into the different cloud APIs and create resources. And the whole thing is managed by Terraform and there's a state file and stuff. So it's like, hey, this is very similar, but I feel like something critical you mentioned is it's not just that. There's more that Crossplane has to offer. So can you expand on that? Yeah, absolutely. So, so we already mentioned the, the kind of constant reconciliation aspect of it. Uh, a useful parallel here to explore the further levels of, of Crossplane and compare and contrast with Terraform is thinking about Terraform modules, right? So Terraform also offers a kind of abstraction mechanism to be able to say, I want to take these granular resources from a Terraform provider um, and present them to an end user or a developer with a scope down set of inputs, essentially. That's mm -hmm. kind of how Crossplane's composition model works. Um, however, this is all existing in a Kubernetes cluster, right? So these objects are, are things that exist themselves. And Crossplane's composition model works in a way uh, where you define actually some, some other custom resources uh, that say, this is kind of the schema for the abstraction that I want. And these are the different mappings that satisfy it. So you can have multiple mappings for a single abstraction. So you could have 
GCP mapping for a database and an AWS mapping or a dev and a prod one, et cetera. And then those actually create new CRDs, which then developers can interact with, right? So it, it's CRDs all the way down. Um, <laughs> but but essentially what major difference of this is, and I would encourage folks to the, the Crossplane blog, uh, which is blog.crosswind.io actually has a post on there that that goes through a comparison with Terraform uh, that mm. will go into this in greater detail. But an important distinction is that we actually have objects that represent this higher level abstraction that persist, right? So with infrastructure as code tools, typically you present a higher level abstraction and you can imagine uh, the inputs of that kind of like flowing out and the output being these granular resources and, and the higher level abstraction kind of disappears when it all gets compiled out essentially. In Crossplane, you're creating an instance of the higher level abstraction and that's all you ever interact with. And that gets mapped to these granular resources and relevant status gets propagated back up to that abstraction. So you just have kind of one way to interact with, with those granular resources as a developer. Does that include observability then, Daniel? So I would know because I'm interacting with that higher level cross-plane representation of what's happening underneath status, utilization, and you know these kind of things. So just like how you define how the inputs to that abstraction get filtered down to the granular resources, you also define what status components of those granular resources come back up and how they get mixed and matched and combined together to present a status that makes sense to users, right? So you could say reflected in the status of the abstraction is the actual state of all the underlying resources. So let's say I'm a developer and in my team one namespace, I create a database I could, uh, as the platform builder, say that I'm going to propagate in the status of that database object, you know, RDS instance ready and healthy, DB subnet group ready and healthy. I could propagate all of those granular resources that compose the higher level abstraction back up. Or I could just say, I just want to give a blanket thing, right? This, this developer wants a database. They're really agnostic to what components are under that. I just need to let them know if it's ready for them to consume or not. And a big part of that that we haven't really touched on, right, is providing connection details, right? Because there's there's information that's required for the developer's workload to be able mm. to connect to these underlying resources. And sometimes you have to mix and match connection details to give them a, an interface that they can interact with. Is there an opportunity then to leverage Crossplane for cost-based decisions where I put a workload maybe because, and I just interact with Crossplane and Crossplane can make a decision about where to spin up something based on some kind of the dollar cost model. That is absolutely correct. And once you basically have all these things in a common API, you can do cost modeling, you can do uh, workload bursting, that sort of thing. You can make all these sorts of decisions because everything is represented in a common framework. And you have uh, kind of a, a very flexible extension point where you can add new controllers, right, that interact with these different resources and, and manipulate how they get provisioned. So we have some of those aspects built into what we call core crossplane, but we like to make it a very modular system, right? So if you're doing cost-based analysis, you know, you might add your own controllers to do that rather than us enforcing a way that you do that, et cetera. Oh. Yeah, so you could write your own controller that implements your own logic for how you want it to be reconciled going forward. And I think that the thing that jumps out to me and the big, big difference between something like Terraform and what Crossplane is doing is that continuous reconciliation loop where it is trying to take the spec and make the status match the spec. And that has such a large impact because... The only way that I've seen that before is you try to do some sort of drift detection over time. Hey, did something change about the infrastructure since I last deployed it? 
Maybe you have a pipeline that tries to resolve it, but it's not this continuous loop. It's something you have to create yourself and maintain yourself. So for me, that's the thing that jumps out the biggest is that reconciliation loop. Yeah, that's definitely really huge. And it's interesting to see how different organizations and different folks receive that sort of operational style, because a lot of folks, uh, their immediate reaction, especially if they're in kind of a larger, more legacy organization, is that's really scary for them, right? For, for <laughs> right. something to be constantly operating on their infrastructure. And while some folks view it as a feature that if you go into the AWS console and change something, Crossplane is going to change it back to your source of truth. And, and other folks see that as, as very scary. And so with that, right, we need to accommodate uh, different organizations on their, their journey and operational maturity and give them different, you know, options for how often things are reconciled, how they're reconciled, you know, if there needs to be some checks uh, performed before they actually <laughs> take remediation action and that sort of thing. So there's, there's all different components there to, to making that work for different folks. Um, but once again, having that flexible system allows for introducing that type of logic. I like the point that you made there that not every organization is ready to go on this full-blown uh, constant deployment technology. <laughs> they might want to take a step back and say, hey, okay, I want to put this stuff in, but I want some manual controls in there. And, and maybe those manual controls are very granular and it only runs the reconciliation once a day or once every couple of days. But then you build confidence in the system and you can start removing those controls as you feel more confident that you can trust the system to do the right thing. Absolutely. Daniel, though, in, back in that context of reconciliation, that kind of, we started having that conversation in the context of Kubernetes. Do I have to run Kubernetes and then crossplane inside with all the CRDs to get this functionality or is crossplane something I can run outside of a Kubernetes environment? So, Technically, I would say, yes, you do need to run it with, with uh, Kubernetes. Um, and instead of trying to break away from uh, Kubernetes as our distributed system framework, right, for, for cross-plane, we're actually trying to embrace some of the kind of upstream Kubernetes discussions around how the API server is implemented. So uh, folks hmm. that are familiar with, with Kubernetes likely are familiar with tools like Kind, which is Kubernetes and Docker, which is used for testing, um, or stripped down distributions like K3S. And then something, uh, KubeCon uh, was last week, there was a, a keynote talking about KCP, and we actually had a community meeting for it yesterday. KCP is basically saying, we need to take the Kubernetes API and, and make the components more modular, meaning that you could have a Kubernetes API server that behaved Maybe more like something like SQLite, where you know you can run a very minimal uh, uh, process alongside your application or embed it directly into your application. So, for instance, you could see a future where we have a very minimal Kubernetes API server actually embedded into the crossplane binary, which gives you kind of like you know a single daemon that you could be running on your machine or something like that. Okay, I, I had not heard about that. That's really interesting to see how that progresses, because it, it does seem like the secret sauce about Kubernetes really is the API server. And you don't necessarily need a giant cluster with a whole bunch of nodes to have that particular functionality. And that's the thing that Crossplane is using, right? It's, it's not so much dependent on the other components. Exactly. And, and there's varying levels of, of consumption of the API. One of the things, uh, and this is very, very nascent information, because I'm, I'm actually referencing uh, the first community meeting that happened for KCP, <laughs> which was yesterday. But one of the things we, we talked about in that community meeting, so, so your listeners are getting, you know, the, the newest information here. But one of the things we talked about in that meeting was kind of the varying levels of consumption of the Kubernetes API. 
Um, and then the difference between user-facing uh, APIs and controller-facing APIs. So uh, there's some Kubernetes uh, operators or controllers that really just need the API server, right? There's no workloads. They're not consuming any part of Kubernetes other than offering new CRDs and reconciling them. Crossplane is a, a little further to the other side of the spectrum in that we do spin up new workloads, right? So those providers that you install into, into Crossplane or your Kubernetes cluster, they, they have to run somewhere, right? And we do mm -hmm. that by going through the Crossplane package manager and spinning up new deployments and, and pods, right? And, and running those controllers there. So we do still require some components of the Kubernetes API server and we need the kubelet and things like that. But those can be stripped down for our use case because you know, when users are, are coming to Crossplane, they're not creating pods or deployments to interact with Crossplane. They're telling Crossplane, please install this provider uh, and Crossplane on their behalf is going to go and manage those pods and deployments. So there's all different sorts of, of consumption models to the Kubernetes API server. And, and I think efforts are moving towards a way where it's more modular so, so that all folks can kind of benefit from it. What does the footprint look like for a typical cross-plane installation when you have all those providers? Uh, how, how much space is are all those deployments and pods taking up within a cluster? So it really depends. Uh, we have lots and lots of providers uh, and they have, you know, differing levels of CRDs and in and, 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 and correspondence with that differing numbers of controllers. Uh, and then the number of actual instances of CRDs that you're creating. So how many RDS instances are, are represented is actually more indicative of the consumption, mm. right, uh, of these providers. Because if there's, if there's no instances that exist, those controllers are essentially sitting dormant, right? right. So really when you start to get into a uh, large scale, which you could theoretically continue to scale forever, right? And, and Kubernetes, once again, is giving us a nice way to scale the underlying infrastructure for this. But we have a, a number of uh, consumers of Crossplane that actually implement kind of a, a layer two cloud provider on top of it, right? So they're creating kind of a generic platform and offering that actually as a product. And those folks will have thousands and thousands of resources, you know, on AWS or GCP or some combination of, of multiple cloud providers represented there. And at that point, right, you have lots of reconciliation loops firing and you may want replicas of your providers and high availability. And once again, Kubernetes provides a lot of those primitives to us so we can kind of take advantage of that. So that's one of the things when, when folks are like, are you, are you all thinking about maybe just moving off of Kubernetes, right? Because you're not using all these APIs. That's why we're engaging upstream. We'd rather say, we'd like to modify the Kubernetes we consume based on the use case rather than trying to build our own distributed systems framework it's going to try and accomplish a lot of the same things. We pause the episode for a bit of training talk, training with CBT Nuggets. If you're a day two cloud listener, you are, you're listening to it right now, then you're probably the sort of person who likes to keep up your skills as am I. Now, here's the thing about cloud as I've dug into it over the last few years. It's the same as on-prem, but different. The networking is the same, but different due to all these operational constraints you don't expect. And just when you have your favorite way to set up your cloud environment, the cloud provider changes things or offers a new service that makes you rethink what you've already built. So how do you keep up with this? Training. And this is an ad for a training company. So what did you think I was going to say? Obviously training. And not just because sponsor CBT Nuggets wants your business, but also because training is how I've kept up with emerging technology over the decades. I believe in the power of smart instructors telling me all about the new tech so that I can walk into a conference room as a consultant or a project lead and confidently position a technology to business stakeholders and financial decision makers. So you want to be smarter about cloud? CBT Nuggets has a lot of offerings for you from absolute beginner 
beginner material to courses covering AWS, Azure, and Google Cloud skills. Let's say you want to go narrow on a specific topic. Okay, well, there's a two-hour course on Azure security. Maybe you want to go big, wide. Alrighty, there's a 42-hour AWS certified SysOps administrator course and lots more cloud training offerings in the CBT Nuggets catalog. I gave you just a couple of examples to whet your appetite. In fact, CBT Nuggets is adding 40 hours of new content every week, and they help you master your studies with available virtual labs and accountability coaching. Interested? Of course you are, so satisfy your curious mind by visiting cbtnuggets.com cloud and figure out if CBT Nuggets will work for your training with their seven days free trial. Just go do it. cbtnuggets.com cloud for seven days free. That's cbtnuggets.com cloud. And now back to the podcast I so rudely interrupted. Right. I mean, the whole point uh, that kicked off this podcast is don't build, re, don't reinvent the wheel, use right. what already exists. So you're using Kubernetes to, to manage this. I did have an, a, like a very specific question because it sparked in my mind when you were talking about the, the resources that are delivered to the end consumer and then the management of those resources and the, or, and I'm the, the, the abstraction of those resources down to the actual resources in the cloud provider how do you split that up with namespaces so that like my developer doesn't just go in and alter the underlying root resource as opposed to interacting with the abstraction I've given them? I'm glad you brought this up because this is a very important and potentially controversial design decision of Crossplane. So yeah, I'm trying to bring the spice to this podcast, you know, <laughs> but first I'll say there are some similar or competing projects with Crossplane. So one of them would be Google Config Connector, which is Google's kind of like closed source controllers for reconciling some of their infrastructure types. ACK, which is uh, Amazon controllers for Kubernetes, which is a similar kind of thing for, for AWS. Uh, it's open source and we actually share some code generation with them. And, and we have good relationships with those projects because we really have different goals. And one of those goals is, is manifested in the design of Crossplane in that all of the granular managed resources that are brought by providers are actually cluster scoped. Your RDS instance, your, your S3 bucket, all of those are going to exist at the cluster scope. And the reasoning for that is we see those as, as resources that the platform team or, or cluster admins should be interacting with, right? Those are the granular mm. resources. And you could choose to create an abstraction on those that is one-to-one -one representation, but our abstractions can be offered at the cluster scope or the namespace scope. So when you find a new type that maps to these granular resources at the cluster scope, you can expose that at the namespace scope. So you can say folks that have access to the team one namespace can create the database abstraction there. And that actually spits out resources at the cluster scope and they're reconciled there. And that has a number of important qualities. Uh, number one, with folks that have interacted with any cloud provider, especially if you've interacted with multiple cloud providers, you know that the permissioning model across cloud providers, the IAM and, and all of that, differs wildly and if you're using multiple of them it is if you're using one of them it's extremely difficult to manage right yeah um mm. but if you're using multiple it's it's nearly impossible right so what we don't want to do is follow a, a model like terraform right where to run a a terraform plan and apply you need to have the credentials uh you yourself who's running the terraform plan and apply you need to have the credentials either you know, on your local machine or you need to SSH into a box that has credentials or assume them somehow that can create all of those granular resources that are spit out. Crossplane takes a different model. 
since there are all of these different permissioning models, we want to standardize on Kubernetes RBAC is the way that we do permissioning with Crossplane. Hmm. So what we say is that you give folks the ability, uh, developers within a namespace, the ability to create the abstraction. They are never given credentials to create anything on AWS or GCP or anything like that. You define mm -hmm. the abstraction, you define the policy and, and the permissions required for mapping that to underlying AWS resources. And then you give a controller credentials and, and you can give it a different sets of credentials and scope that based on who's provisioning it and that sort of thing. But that controller is responsible for executing that on the developer's behalf. What that means is that all permissioning is done at the Kubernetes RBAC level and has namespace isolation and that sort of thing, which is an extremely important quality of Crossplane that enables kind of this whole platform building and self-service model. Right, right. If I could pick that apart a little bit. So I, as the developer, have access to a namespace and this abstraction. When I go to create whatever that abstraction is, that's going to get processed by the cluster level stuff. And that's going to look up and see, okay, what AWS account, let's say we're using AWS, what AWS account should this get deployed in? And it already has its own credentials to create that resource. And then it'll return maybe the database access information. And that's it to me as the developer. And that's all I ever see. So I'm not dealing with AWS credentials. I don't know what they are. And that that's better for me because then I can't get hacked and give those away. Uh, and it's better for the whole design process because somebody else can manage those credentials and rotate them as needed and, and all that kind of stuff. That's, yep. that's really, I think, I, I don't know why <laughs> Ethan was laughing when you talked about all the different permission models across the clouds. The reason <laughs> I was laughing is because I just did a demo that deployed resources using Terraform across GCP, AWS, and Azure. And interacting with all three platforms and all the different information you had to give and the fact that it was wildly different for each one was incredibly frustrating. So uh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it does end up putting a lot of trust, I guess, into Crossplane that you guys are getting all the permissions right with the abstraction layers. But it is a blessing uh, to do <laughs> if you can get that right. Because yeah. of exactly what you're saying. It's just the the... the Getting it right across multi-cloud is, um, well, that's why I'm laughing anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and, and to kind of touch on what you said, yes, there is a, a lot of onus on cross-plane to make sure that, you know, when you define a mapping that that happens correctly, right? When you compose the resources that they're rendered out correctly. However, right, the, the platform operator within an organization is still, as Ned was alluding to there, creating those credentials and saying who can assume those credentials, right? When the controller is going to use them and that sort of thing. So, so you still really lock down how credentials are used in that sort of thing. So uh, definitely from a, a platform team and infrastructure operator perspective, we recommend that folks have, have, have good knowledge of how the underlying IAM structures <laughs> work for the different right. cloud providers. Yeah. Uh, Daniel, I think I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to, gonna ask it anyway so we've talked about you know, kate's and 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 it's going modular and you could take advantage of that maybe maybe come up with some kind of a simpler setup well could crossplane interact with a different sort of an orchestrator say hashicorp nomad something like that yeah it definitely could um right now we are pretty tied to the the kubernetes api right and that has some benefits because, um, and, and to be honest, I'm not nearly as familiar with, with Nomad as I am with Kubernetes, but the extension model is, is really the thing that, that folks are familiar with and what we take advantage of. So 
that is really the blocker rather than the actual workload scheduling and that sort of thing. Mm. The the CRD model of Kubernetes is really what Crossplane is mm. uh, leveraging. You could imagine, to your point, right, that you could take advantage of that extension model, but behind the scenes in terms of just like scheduling the providers to run in their reconciliation loops and that sort of thing, you could have a very stripped down Kubernetes API server, but leverage something like Nomad to actually run your workloads. That being said, most folks don't want to go down that path. But if they were using Nomad already or, or a different um, you know, orchestrator, that could be a potential path for them. Oh, okay. Well, let me ask the question a different way then. The way the project, the cross-plane project is structured, if there was community demand, we want to make this work with Nomad, is that plausible? If the community were to put the effort in and contribute the code, it could actually happen that way? I would say it's plausible. Uh, I, will, I won't say that it would be easy by any means because yeah. there does need to be a Kubernetes API server somewhere, even if it was yeah. an extremely stripped down and minimal one. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Another cross-plane question there, going kind of back to our the root value propositions. We've been talking through this. Dude, there is a lot of complexity going on here. Anytime you introduce a heavy-duty abstraction like this, there's so much magic that is presented to you. You get to interact with the abstraction now that makes things easier and more uniform, but then the complexity is kind of hidden. And on the other hand, there's all this complexity that's kind of being added you know, at the same time. And so that's a trade-off you need to decide. You're going to take that on if you integrate, in this case, cross-plane with your Kubernetes infrastructure. Is there, if I'm thinking about this, am I, should I think about it like my application is going to benefit from crossplane or as an organization, the way we're structured, we're going to benefit from crossplane. How do I decide that I should use it or it's really not the right thing to take on? Yeah, so, so I think there's kind of two questions there, right? How can I reduce the abstraction and kind of get a grip on how I adopt this? And then second, what are the cases where it would be worth it? So allow me to reduce complexity by adding more here. Um, <laughs> cross, Crossplane has, I've, I've alluded to this package manager, right? I mean, a lot of times folks say, uh, why does Crossplane have a package manager? Why don't you just install the provider backends with Helm or something like that? Crossplane takes an opinionated approach uh, to how packaging works. And it also offers two different levels of, of packaging. So one of those is being providers, and the other one is configuration packages. So we've been talking about providers, uh, but the packaging format is actually very similar for both of these types of packages. Instead of using something like Helm, we actually package our providers uh, into OCI images themselves. So a provider is an, an OCI image with a set of CRDs just in a single YAML file. So it's basically a single stream of YAML, uh, as well as a, a manifest file that basically says, this is where you can get the image, which is another OCI image, uh, for running these controllers. And, and this is basically the CRDs that, that I need to own as a provider. So when you say cross-plane, please install this provider, it fetches that basically YAML stream, reads it through and says, I'm going to install these providers, I'm going to start up the controllers, and I'm going to make this provider the owner of these CRDs. So the benefit that, that gives you is Crossplane can do things like roll back and roll forward CRD versions and controllers that match them. It also means that you can't install two providers without you know, explicitly saying that, that manage the same CRDs. So you don't want to have one AWS provider managing an RDS instance and another one doing the same and then fighting over it or something like that. So there's a lot of things we do to make that a happy path. But really, the, the, what I'm getting to to make this an easier experience is the configuration packages. 
So I've talked about these ways that you define uh, new abstract types and then the mappings. Those happen through two resources. Uh, an XRD, which is kind of a cross-plane variation of a CRD, is how you define the new schema for an abstract type and offer it to different namespaces. A composition is how you say, for an instance of this XRD that gets created, spit out these granular resources, right? So you, that's where you may have a composition for AWS and GCP and Azure or whatever for the same abstract type. What you can also do is these configuration packages allow you to bundle up these abstractions and also declare dependencies on provider packages. So to, to give kind of a concrete example of what this looks like, you can build a single OCI image that includes a manifest that says, this is my platform for the Ned and Ethan org, okay? And you have a single abstract type in there uh, defined by an XRD that is a database, and you have three compositions for that XRD. One of them says create an AWS RDS instance. One of them says create a GCP Cloud SQL instance. And one of them says create an Azure SQL instance. You package that up and you say in your manifest, I depend on provider AWS, provider GCP, and provider Azure. And you have a single unit that you, anytime you install Crossplane from now on, you can say, please install this configuration. And what Crossplane will do is it will find compatible versions of all of the providers, install those, make sure all the CRDs are present, install your abstractions, and then make them available to folks in the appropriate namespaces. So what we're really doing at that point is bundling a platform definition into an OCI image that can be pushed to Docker Hub or Upbound's registry or, or any other OCI conformant registry. And that means that you can also have a marketplace, right? Where a startup could come along and say, I want to consume this, these abstractions that some other larger organization has already defined. So in the future, we envision uh, folks coming along and basically saying, oh, I need a, a friendly interface to AWS. I'm just going to go ahead and install this friendly AWS package, and it's going to make that available to me and give me abstractions that are you know tried and true from some other organization or something like that. And then I can build on those and modify and create my own dependency tree of abstractions which really gives you the ability to kind of have that immediate Heroku experience or, or layer two cloud experience without actually even defining your own abstractions on it. And we hope, right, the intention there is that number one, folks can have reproducible platform environments. Um, so you can do that across dev staging and prod, but also the, the barrier to entry is drastically reduced, right? Because to start using Crossplane, you just have to be able to, you know, do a one-click install basically, and then create this abstract type and you're off to the races without even having to really understand how AWS or GCP is happening behind the scenes. You're making it sound like getting ramped up on Crossplane is easier than maybe digging into the nuances of the various cloud providers. Absolutely. And, you know, if you are designing a robust platform for an, a large organization, uh, obviously you're going to eventually need to understand, you know, why you need to give your your service account these credentials to create this abstract type, right? Uh, eventually you're going to need to understand that. However, we have, uh, and, and this will be uh, rolling out soon, a certification for providers and configuration packages and that sort of thing, where we say, hmm. this is kind of a known good package. And if you install this in your cluster and provide these credentials, uh, we can provide documentation on you know, how this abstraction is happening. So you don't have to actually implement it, right? But you get to benefit from, from this kind of uh, platform definition that other folks, uh, whether it be, you know, organizations that are offering Crossplane as a service or, you know, consuming 
Crossway and just sharing open source. This is interesting because you made a point here that's just just hit me. You said that at some point, someone in your orgs got to know what's going on under under the hood, uh, what Crossplay is manipulating. But the interesting part here, not everyone does. Exactly. The devs don't. They just care about Crossplay. Sure, someone's got to understand what's being abstracted so you can troubleshoot things when they go wrong and make sure you're setting up uh, your definitions and your abstractions correctly the way you want that's most suitable. But you've taken a burden off of part of your organization because they've only got one interface to, to, to work with. Exactly. And, you know, someone absolutely should understand those abstractions, but maybe not right at the beginning. You know, maybe you're, mm -hmm. maybe you're a startup and you need to leverage cloud infrastructure and you don't want to be locked into, to, uh, I, I keep harping on Heroku. Let's say we'll use a different <laughs> one, like Render. If you've heard of Render, it's kind of a similar type of thing where they offer, you know, these really abstract resources. You don't want to be locked into that because you know in the future you're going to need some of the complexity that something like AWS offers, right? You're going to need custom solutions. But so, so you don't want to be locked into using, you know, these specific APIs for, for a, a layer two cloud provider. So instead, you install these abstractions in your cluster. And maybe for the beginning when you're, you know, doing your POC or MVP or something like that, you're using these abstractions. You're not exactly sure how they're mapping behind the scenes. You're not exactly sure how the credentials are being assumed and that sort of thing. But you've put yourself in a position that when you want to understand that, you don't have to change the APIs that you're using. Right. And you can continue right. down that path. So, yes, it, it definitely always will provide that that ease of burden on developers. But I, I'm personally and this isn't necessarily a, a, a mission of the Crossplane project directly. But I'm personally really excited about how it's going to empower smaller companies to have infrastructure and control planes that look like large cloud providers, right, that look like large companies that consume a lot of infrastructure. We're kind of trying to democratize that and make that available to everyone. Right. This reminds me a lot of what MSPs want to do. They want mm -hmm. to be able to offer this kind of interface, but it's really hard to set up. And now you've provided, in a sense, a, a beginner's kit to, to getting it started, and then they can customize it however they want. They could throw a web interface in the front so that their clients can consume it as more of an inter, uh, you know, a UI as opposed to just throwing YAML at the problem. But it does give them that startup kit. The last question I had, and this ties neatly into what you're just talking about, if someone does want to get started, can they just run this thing using Kind on their laptop or do they need to use a, a cluster up in AWS? What, what's the easiest path to get started with Crossplane and, and try out some of these features? Absolutely. So definitely in our getting started guide, we recommend using Kind. So any conformant Kubernetes distribution will work, right? So if you are, if your organization requires that you always run on AWS or maybe you're you know, using KubeADM and running it on EC2 instances, whatever you want, you can install Crossplane there. I will also say, and and warning, this mentions my employer, uh, which is <sighs> Upbound. Um, so, so I know y'all will edit this out afterwards, so I'll just go ahead and say it. Upbound and, and you know, Crossplane is an open source CNCF project under the Apache 2 license, right? So, so Upbound is potential distributor of Crossplane. There can be others as well, just like Kubernetes. Upbound, for instance, offers a hosted crossplane offering where instead of giving you kind of like the whole Kubernetes cluster, we just give you the crossplane API and give you kind of like one click interface. So if someone wants to do that, you're allowed to. <laughs> as, as I mentioned in my blog post, I will be very honest about the benefits of, of using proprietary solutions or not. But if that is of interest, that's an option. 
No, no, we appreciate that. And and we'll leave it in, Daniel. That's that's fine. <laughs> You're allowed kind. to mention your employer. <laughs> Very kind. Now now I'm gonna get a bonus from the marketing folks at our company. So there you go. There you go. <laughs> well, if folks want to know more about you or know more about crossplane, what are some good places they should look on the interwebs? Absolutely. So we obviously have the crossplane website and documentation, which is crossplane.io. We we have a YouTube channel where there's a lot of different talks. We actually recently had a KubeCon uh, EU 2021 last week. Uh, we had a day zero event for, for Crossplane called Crossplane mm. Community Day. And we've had a number of those in the past as well. So we have a, a smattering of talks of folks talking about it, whether it be end users, the founders of Kubernetes. We have a round table with the founders of Kubernetes where they're talking about you know this kind of like control plane future and moving beyond container orchestration. Uh, Kelsey moderates that, of course. <laughs> And, uh, and then we also have, um, I do a, a live stream where we have different CNCF projects on and talk about the benefits of standardizing the Kubernetes API and show demos of using something like open policy agent alongside Crossplane and things like that. So you can go to the Crossplane channel on YouTube. You're also welcome to join us at slack.crossplane.io, which is our workspace where we are extremely active. Uh, we, we get feedback all the time. Uh, a number of the Crossplane maintainers are across different time zones, so we have the benefit of being very responsive there. And then the last thing I'd say, uh, if you'd like to reach out to me directly, I am happy to answer any Twitter DMs or, or any other sorts of emails or anything like that. I'm everywhere uh, at hash Dan, and so feel free to, to reach out on Twitter or something like that. Or danielmangum.com has all of my information. All right, awesome. We will include all of those links in the show notes. <laughs> so, you know, listener, don't worry about scribbling any of that down. But <laughs> if you just want to go to find him on Twitter, it's hashed, H-A-S-H-E-D, Dan, D-A-N. You can find him there. And I think all the relevant links can spring from there as well. So that's, <laughs> that's an easy one to remember. Well, Daniel, so mu- thank you so much for being a guest today on Day Two Cloud. It's been it's been a heck of a conversation. I I really enjoyed it. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate y'all having me on, and uh, big fan of the show. So definitely an honor to be here, and and lots of other guests that y'all have had in the past that that I uh, don't hold a candle to. So I'm I'm very honored to be here, uh, <laughs> and I've enjoyed the conversation as well. Awesome. Thank you so much. And hey, listener, virtual high fives to you for tuning in. If you've got suggestions for future shows. You know, we want to hear about those suggestions. You can hit either of us up on at Twitter at day two cloud show, or you can fill out the form on my fancy website, nedinthecloud.com. Did you know that Packet Pushers has a weekly newsletter? It's called Human Infrastructure Magazine. You're the infrastructure. And it's filled with the best stuff that we found on the internet, plus our own feature articles and commentary. It's free and it doesn't suck. That's good. So you can get the next issue if you'd like via packetpushers.net slash newsletter. Until next time, just remember, cloud is what happens while IT is making other plans.